Hey everybody, it's Chris. If you're a sports fan like me, or you're just a fan of a great story, you gotta check out Press Box Access, a sports history podcast hosted by Todd Jones. Todd sits down with fellow sports writers who experienced firsthand some of the biggest sports moments of the past 50 years, and they share some of the stories behind the stories, some of which they've only told to each other. What I personally love are the wild stories that you might not hear so much about on SportsCenter over the years. Like when Indiana-based sports journalist Bob Kravitz recounts the time Bobby Knight showed up naked to an office meeting with him and then banned him from the Hoosiers' locker room for the next three years because Bob wrote a story he didn't like. Or when Alexander Wolfe tells a story about going out on the town in Chicago with Dennis Rodman and Carmen Electra in the middle of a Bulls playoff series. Or when Dan Wetzel talks about what it was like to be in the media room when Temple basketball coach John Chaney stormed into UMass coach John Calipari's press conference after a game and threatened to kill him. These wild and fun stories, paired with stories about real sports greatness, you know, like the 1970s Steelers being the greatest NFL dynasty ever, or the legendary rivalry between Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, and even the impact of protests for social justice issues in sports, make Pressbox Access a show you should check out. Pressbox Access is part of the Evergreen Podcast family, and it's available all the places you get your pods, and you can also find Pressbox Access on YouTube. Go check it out. you come in. I'm Shane O'Hare of the Geekscape Games Podcast, the number one video game podcast on the Geekscape.network. Join myself, Derek Krenevelt, and a guest every fortnight as we discuss video game news, video game reviews, and dissections. That's Geekscape Games every two weeks on Geekscape.net. Today is our 150th episode, so we had to bring the heat with an undeniable 80s jam. Spandau Ballet may have formed out of a love for the Sex Pistols, but their 1983 musical love letter True was inspired by the soulful sounds of Al Green and Marvin Gaye. This smooth pop classic dominated the radio airwaves for years, but we needed to know more. Can producer Matt Kelly pronounce their name? Is True really Adam Sandler's favorite song? Did Spandau Ballet truly bring the one-hit thunder? On this week's show, we ask the important questions about this well-dressed band. Matt, I'm excited to just hear you try to pronounce the name of this band. So it's episode 150, and you're pranking me with... <laughs> pranking you. Spindel Ballet? 
Spandau Ballet. All right, I got close. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love what you've been calling them throughout the day, though. Spandella. Spandella. <laughs> yeah, this, I knew that this was going to be a challenge. But we're talking about True by Spandau Ballet, an 80s classic. I So I, I was thinking about how I first heard this song. And I realized that I probably first heard this song because in my research, I've come to the conclusion that this is low-key Adam Sandler's favorite song. <laughs> oh, it's it's in a lot of... I mean, it has to be in The Wedding Singer. It's in The Wedding Singer. That's the first time I heard it. So I'm going to read a list of the movies and TV shows that appeared in. And at least, I think, four or three or four of them are Adam Sandler vehicles. Really? So it appeared in Pixels, Adam Sandler, 16 Candles, Charlie's Angels, Crazy Stupid Love, Hot Tub Time Machine, 51st Dates, Adam Sandler, The Wedding Singer, Adam Sandler... Angus and Modern Family. Yeah. I mean, this is the ultimate 80s slow dance at the prom song. 100%. Yeah. And I've really learned to love this song. I mean, in the 90s, I know that we'd probably talk about this later, but PM Dawn then sampled this song for a number one hit. Yeah. uh, Set Adrift on Memory Bliss. A good ass song too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I really, really love this song. I think it's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful love song. And even the story behind it, there's like real emotion behind this song from Gary Kemp yeah. from Spandau Ballet. And it makes me like it even more. This isn't some, you know, fluff bullshit thing. This guy actually was feeling these emotions. It is really interesting, though, that the origins of this band for a song that, like you said, kind of has a pop love ballad vibe to it. They got their start after seeing the Sex Pistols, a band that couldn't sound further from the song True. Yeah, it's the complete opposite. If you had to put two complete opposite sounding songs, I would say like, whatever, Uh, put any Sex Pistols song up next to True and... I think True would win. Oh. I think controversially, I want to say True is a better song than anything the Sex Pistols wrote. Yeah, I mean, controversially. I mean, that's just <laughs> that's just a fact. This is this song. I guess there was a lot of hate for this song at the time it was out. It was all over the radio. It was huge. And I guess I get it at the time. It was... It, I think we're under... I was shocked to hear this. This received a BMI award for being one of the most played songs in radio history with mm-hmm. 4 million radio plays. In one year. No, no. In so, the history. Like, it is one of the most played songs in music history. Oh. Most songs I don't think get to 4 million plays in a regular <laughs> interesting lifespan. Interesting. Okay. Wow. I guess I have no scale. I, I would be... If someone told me, like... Oh, Taylor Swift, shake it off. That got 1 million plays today. I'd be like, okay. (laughs) Similarly to when we talk about the Billboard charts in general, we have a very limited frame of reference. Yeah, I have no (laughs) frame of reference. So 4 million, that's a lot for all time, I guess. Okay, I'll I'll, I'll buy that. Spandau Ballet apparently were part of the second British invasion of the Billboard Top 40, which is a lot of new wave music. Yeah, the the new romantic era, they refer to it as. It's, It's definitely that 80s synth pop thing that happened in the the early 80s now i feel like we don't even talk about british waves anymore because i we've we've hit a point where just like music from any country kind of just can find its way in into america now with like spotify and 
right like digital sharing but yes in the 80s it was weird for not just one group but a massive amount of groups to find their way onto the american airwaves and then similarly to the beatles and and stones then kind of affect the way modern american music is written to sound closer to that sound and yeah they were a big part of that right and we we have to put this di- disclaimer on so many episodes we're calling spandau ballet a one-hit wonder when it comes to the United States because the band has sold 25 million albums and have had 23 hit singles worldwide. They had eight top 10 albums in the UK and three greatest hits compilations. Like calling them a one-hit wonder globally is absurd. Calling them a one-hit wonder in the in the United States when it comes to the parameters that we've set on one-hit thunder for what qualifies as a one-hit wonder. Yeah. It makes sense. And our parameters, I just want to clarify, because people will get in our comments every once in a while, but the parameters that we have set are based on Billboard's actual definition, which is that they never had a second top 20 hit. Right. So, on, okay. the, on the Hot 100. So Right. And True went, True only went to number four, actually. Only number four. But, I mean, when you look at what it was up against, it's a pretty tight lineup, right? It peaked at number four on October 8th, 1983. Number five, the song that it was above was Stray Catch, She's Sexy, Plus 17. I'm glad that it was above that. <laughs> but what it was underneath was King of Pain by The Police, which was the last single for The Police. Uh, Making Love Out of Nothing at All by Air Supply, which, all right, True probably deserves to be a little bit higher than that. Yeah. But you can't complain about number one, Total Eclipse of the Heart by Bonnie Taylor. I mean, that is a... That's a banger of a song. Well, we're getting into this these charts real real early on this one, but I do want to say, okay, you said those songs. Also, Islands in the Stream from Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton was at number six. Tell Her About, about it, it by, by Billy, Billy Joel. Joel was at number seven. I actually really like that as far as 80s Joel goes. I feel like we've really turned on 80s Joel because of Step Brothers. There's yeah. still, 80s Joel is still better than the one 90s Joel album, which was River of Dreams. Sure. Uh, at number eight at this time, The Safety Dance, mm-hmm. Men in Hats. At number nine, One Thing Leads to Another by The Fix. I love that song. I don't think I know it. You might it, do what you say. Oh, do yeah, yeah. One Thing Leads to Another. Yeah, that is a good... Okay, that is a good song. I didn't know that was The Fix. <laughs> and the funniest one, number 10, was Far From Over by Frank Stallone. <laughs> and I was like... <laughs> Frank Stallone had a top 10 single. Frank Stallone's just the guy that Norm MacDonald makes fun of on Saturday Night Live. Like, that is all I know of him. But apparently it's from the 1983 film Staying Alive, which was the sequel to Saturday Night Fever. Frank Stallone had a top 10 single. You know, we may need to look into this real quick because is Frank Stallone going to count? He does, technically. Frank Stallone, look out for it. Future one hit Thunder episode. Far From Over, he had three songs that charted, but they were at 67 with Case of You and 81 with Darlin off his self-titled album, Frank Stallone. Case of You, like the, is it a cover of... Bad Case of Loving You? No, Case of You is, I think, a Joni... It's not hyperlinked, so I'm assuming it is an original that no one remembers. Oh, I think it was uh, Joni Mitchell that had a song, Case of You. Anyway. Yes. Most of his career has been the Staying Alive soundtrack and one uh, self-titled album. Okay. 
Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and, in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. I'm not going to lie here. I've become a factor fanatic lately. I'm a busy guy, and getting to eat restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat in two minutes has been amazing. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You have 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. I've been spreading the word to everyone I know, not just here on the podcast, but in person as well. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. You get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And the math doesn't lie. Factor is less expensive than takeout. Plus, considering every meal is dietitian approved, it's also nutritious and delicious. So what are you waiting for? Get started today by heading to factormeals.com slash one hit 50 and use the code one hit 50 to get 50% off. That's code one hit 50. The words one hit and the number 50 that is at factormeals.com slash one hit 50 to get 50% off. You know, Chris, for these big, like every 50 episode milestone things, we certainly love talking about the 80s, don't we? Yeah, we do. It's a great decade, filled with great bands, great songs. But you know what they were also really great at? Merchandising those bands and those songs. Yeah, I have a serious lack of t-shirts and just merch in general of my favorite 80s artists. And I actually went on rockabilia.com, our sponsor rockabilia.com, to see if I could find a sick phil collins shirt i was like well i was like i i went there intending to find a cool phil collins t-shirt and what i found yes there are phil collins t-shirts but there are phil collins polo shirts that have his name like you know like on the breast with two drumsticks between phil and collins and it's an embroidered shirt and it's pretty awesome man yeah, man, it was the golden age of MTV, and that is a that drumstick shirt is a must-buy, clearly, for yeah. Phil Collins. Yeah, I think so, and it's reasonably priced on here, too. And even more reasonably priced if you use our discount code THUNDER when you check out to get 15% off your order. And I like the fact that everything is officially licensed on rockabilia.com. Everything, you know. You're not getting any of that knockoff stuff. I know I talk about that in every one of these things, but that's important to support artists that you love so you get more music from them. Exactly. And rockabilia.com, like you said, it's all officially licensed and it's reasonably priced. And it's going to be even more reasonably priced when you use the discount code THUNDER to get that extra 15% off your purchase. That's a good point that I just made like five seconds ago, but I'm glad I'm glad you said it again, Matt, because... It needs to be said, just like it needs to be said that they have over 500,000. Matt, I got to tell you, that's half a million. You realize that's half a million items? We're talking everything you can imagine. T-shirts, polo shirts, 
Phil Collins polo shirts, Phil Collins crew neck sweatshirts, Phil Collins pullover windbreakers. I mean, dude, oh, I, I'm seriously on here right now. There's an amazing Phil Collins baseball cap. I'm seriously awesome. going to get that. I can't I was wait just to- <laughs> looking up I was looking up what 80s things I could buy on here and I saw that they even have a King Diamond action figure available dude on on their store. Dude, the they've action got, figures are amazing on there. <laughs> they've got some t-shirts from King's X, the prog rock 80s hair metal glam band. Yes. There's some deep cut stuff over here on rockabilia.com. Yeah, rockabilia.com is the place to go for merch. This stuff never goes out of style. It's always cool and you know, it accounts for probably 40% of my wardrobe <laughs> in general. I'm talking about band t-shirts mainly, but Rockabilia kind of has it all. Back to Spandau Ballet. Gary Kemp, the band songwriter, very clean cut guy in a suit. The whole band, very clean cut. Yeah, nice it, look. They had a good look for a group that, for a band that started in kind of the punk and rock right realm that was a decision that was a conscious decision like we're gonna look like proper english gentlemen yes in this band and they sure did go watch the video for true you'll be like these are dapper men (laughs) (laughs) and i dig it i think it's cool i don't know i think that maybe doing that made them come off like which they kind of are adult contemporary (laughs) a little bit so I, I do want to talk about their, their shift in musical direction was really interesting because, like I said, they they discovered the Sex Pistols, did a bunch of like punk covers and like these fast cover songs, and they were a rock band. They had a bunch of different names, but then they discovered the underground nightclub scene, and that's when they started to switch to like more electronic sounds in their songs. And as they shifted to that electronic sound, they needed a new name. Mm-hmm. And their friend Robert Elms suggested that they change the name to Spindal Ball Ballet. <laughs> and we said, I was so close. Spindal Ballroom. <laughs> uh, a phrase which he had seen written on a wall during a weekend trip in Berlin uh, that said, Randolph Hess, all alone, dancing the Spindal Ballet. <laughs> yeah, and I don't really know what it means. And actually, I make fun of you a lot, but I could be pronouncing it wrong too. I, I think I've heard it pronounced Spindal Ballet. Yeah, for all uh, I know, it's a made up word. Okay, <laughs> but All right. I'll, I'll see if I can find a definition for well, that real quick. Well, so it is a German machine gun. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, that's that was unexpected. <laughs> that was uh, not what I was expecting. I thought it was going to be a type of ballet dance. Yeah, so did I. So interesting, interesting. Gary Kemp, at the time he wrote this song, well, his brother's in the band too, yes. I believe, was living with his parents still. They both were, were living with their parents when they wrote this song. And at the time, Gary Kemp had what sounds like a crush on Altered Images singer Claire Grogan, who if you haven't heard Altered Images, go watch their music video for the song, I Could Be Happy. They're very new wave. The song is really fun. And hey, Claire Grogan, for an English new wave singer in the 80s, she's cute. Yeah, I she had it. like a British Cindy Lauper look a little bit. Yeah, like, she's like, you know, short blonde hair and just, I get it. I get it, Gary Kemp. Yeah. But Gary Kemp, he's a shy guy. He, instead of professing his love to her, he put it into song and created this beautiful song. Did you read who, who he was inspired by when writing the song? Because... I can kind of hear it now that I think about it. Al Green. Al Green and Marvin Gaye. He yeah. said he was inspired by the music of... And now listening to him, like, 
I kind of get that. <laughs> well, also, I saw that um, the opening line of the song was inspired by the Beatles' Dig a Pony. Yeah. Where he does, you know, kind of the... Ha, 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 ha. Thing was inspired by go go listen to Dig a Pony. It's also a ha 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 kind of thing. Also, the first words of Let's Stay Together inspired the chorus. What's I'm so in love with you. Oh man. I'm no Barack. I'm no Barack doing that, but man. I think Let's Stay Together is one of the greatest songs I ever mean, written. We've talked about this before, but is there a is there a better genre of music for just unstoppable hits than just all of Motown? Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. To to be fair, I don't know if Al Green was Motown, but he might as his, his sound he might was, as well have his been, so, yeah. his sound was very Motown. Yeah, it's just or, that that whole it's like just hits, mm-hmm. just hit after hit. Right. I would never have thought of like Al Green being an influence on true for some reason that didn't but then once someone says it i'm like okay yeah i, I would never have come to that conclusion on my own yeah <laughs> i had to be guided to it for sure but it right. makes sense right and so this is where it's really interesting and matt i gotta tell you written songs about people in my life and there is nothing that makes me more squeamish or more like oh like no, please don't bring that up to me or talk to me. Then someone knowing that you wrote a song about them or that, you know, or even someone asking you about it. It is one of the most uncomfortable things in the world for yeah. someone to know that. Even if you were like, I'd rather someone never know that. And yeah. I don't know if everyone feels that way, but I can't imagine what it was like for this guy, this song becoming this huge hit. And then Claire Grogan, I can't imagine like what she must have been feeling. I, I, I think I would be psyched if I were her just because it's such a good song. It's a really good song. But what if Gary Kemp was weird? What if she's like, ah, oh, sorry. I'm, I mean, there is an element of like, I guess the question comes into play of like, how well did he know Claire? Like, was this a song written by a girl that he saw on the television set? Or was this like a group that they toured with a couple times and became friendly with? And he was like, oh, no, I'm developing feelings for my friend in this band. I think that's the case because apparently she had given him a copy of the book Lolita. And he read it and he underlined the phrases pill on tongue and seaside limbs, which then he turned into the lyrics take your seaside arms and write the next line. Oh, I want the truth to be known. And as far as the pill part, thrill in my head and a pill on my tongue. Yeah. Dissolve the nerves that have just begun. So he's taking something that was shared between them and using that in his lyrics. And dude, I I do that. I do that. I've done that so many times to the point where I'm like, it makes me cringe, but people do that. Yeah. Well, the very next line he even says, listening to Marvin all night long. This is the sound of my soul. So it's him dropping a reference to the fact that Marvin Gaye was an inspiration on the song as well there. Right, right. He's got, you know what? He's got some good little hints to what was like the inspiration of this song just kind of scattered amongst the lyrics. In in the actual, he just comes out and says it. Yeah. You know, and I think that's really cool. I think the fact that these lyrics are so personal and, and are so real 
makes me like the song even more than, I, I mean, I love this song. So makes me like it even more. I thought it's funny that they recorded this album. So this song was recorded in the Bahamas. <laughs> it just sounds like the sounds of the Bahamas. It? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the Bahamas sound like. I haven't been to the Bahamas, but I could imagine listening to this song and looking out at a beautiful sunset, sunset <laughs> over the beach Yeah, would be amazing. Could you imagine like slow dancing to this? Like, <laughs> by the by the uh, by the ocean, and I mean it just paints a nice picture. Uh, he said that when they played this song back in the studio, everybody started singing along, including the road crew. Which I was like, "You brought your road crew to the to the <laughs> studio in the Bahamas? That's nice of you." I, I mean, as far as I knew, you were living with your parents when you wrote this song, but apparently you could also bring your road crew to the studio. That that's beside the point. But what he said was they knew it was a hit because everyone was just like singing along to it just on playback from the board. They, they knew. As far as the song itself, like I alluded to earlier, the song is very divisive. Some people think it's a perfect song. Other people think it's the worst song of all time, which I would never agree with that. I think this is, this is a great song, but if it's the 80s and you're kind of sick of the radio and you're sick of the polished sounds uh, that are pummeled into your ears by radio and this constantly comes on, I could see this song maybe driving you crazy at the time. But now that we're in an era where it's not necessarily shoved down our throats as much, I I think it's amazing. Yeah. No, and something that we do need to tap onto because you did say, hey, this only hit number four, but it was a multi-format hit. In the United States. So it hit number four on the Billboard Hot 100, but it was a number one adult contemporary hit. Um, and I don't know what the U.S. cash box was, but it was a number a number four hit there. And it even entered onto the U.S. R&B charts at the time of its Whoa. release. So it was hitting like... there. There is something to be said about if your song can hit multiple different charts because it fits into a few different buckets. I mean, this song has, has a appeal across the board... But not everybody loved it. The The sentence I pulled from Wiki said, the critics were sharply divided mm-hmm. on the song. One described it as an absolute perfect song, while another critic called it the worst song of all time. Right, right. Yeah, so I, I don't know where I stand on that. You know, why someone... That's ridiculous to say it's the worst song of all time. Yeah. Like, that's just There's, outlandish. Well, they hadn't heard Thunder yet. <laughs> yeah. Imagine Dragon's Thunder hadn't come out yet. When they went on tour for this, they did wear their suits. They were very clean cut. I feel like the singer, Claire Grogan, I, I never saw... I, w- I was like, did they end up together? No. I saw no evidence that they ever had any kind of romantic relationship, which is surprising for such a good song. I would think that... Uh, you know, maybe maybe ladies were swooning for this. I mean, he's a handsome guy. Maybe he was a nerd. Yeah, you know. Bit. I mean, so this song really did put them on the map in a big way. So much so that I read that they were the first band that got approached to be part of Band Aid, the, uh, oh. the Do They Know It's Christmas right thing, and were one of the first bands offered Live Aid. Yeah, at at the time of this song's peak. So they they must and. Part of me feels like, A, that's probably because this song was so massive, but also like if you were trying to put together a charity single and you're trying to get all these big stars from the 80s to basically volunteer their time to record this song, you must have a pretty good reputation to be the first group that you're going up to. You know what I mean? Like you're not going to, 
Right. You're you're gonna want to start with a band that like has a good enough reputation that you know that they'll probably say yes <laughs> to your to your philanthropic goals. Right. Like, hey, you know they played Live Aid, and the global audience for Live Aid was estimated at 1.9 billion. Yeah, because people could billion. watch it anywhere. Yeah, dude. Billion. Do you ever think about what a big number a billion is? Do you know what it is? It's it's a thousand million. I forget how someone showed it one time, but someone did an example of explaining a billion just by using like peas. Right. Like it was like, oh, like let's pretend this pea represents like a hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. And then it was like a kiddie pool filled with peas. And they're like, this is a million. Right. <laughs> like, right. It's like the, the understanding of like, and then a billion and then a billion's is. like, yeah, if it's a kiddie pool is a million, then that many peas that fills up an entire house is a bit like a billion is so big. So when, when you hear, I feel like billion is thrown around like, Oh, these people, this person's a billionaire. That's a thousand million. Yeah. That's a thousand million. A thousand. So 1.9 million. So let's just round it up to 2 billion. I that's, never thought about that. Because you're like, oh, a million, you get to a billion real easily. No. no. That's <laughs> 2,000 million people. Almost 2,000 million people watched, could have been theoretically watching them. Say that only half were watching. A thousand million people. If 1% of those people go buy your record, it's platinum. Yeah. That's- 1%. That's chaos. That's a number that we shouldn't throw around lightly. That's kind of why I think billionaires shouldn't exist. No one should have that much power. A thousand million dollars? Yeah. What? Why should any one person have that much power? And That's a whole other conversation, but that's a lot of people to play. That is a lot. That is yeah. a yeah. ton. Now, it is worth noting that they did slide quickly out of the U.S. charts, but they didn't completely disappear um, they did have the song Gold that yes. peaked at 29. I want to talk about that And song. Communication that peaked at 59. Right. And then uh, their follow-up album's debut single, Only When You Leave, was the last song of theirs to ever appear on the U.S. charts. They 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 were on the charts for about a year and a half and then went on to their international fame in every other country mm-hmm. and the United States, I don't know, started playing Poison or something. Right, <laughs> right. I wanted to check out the other singles from this album. Gold, which peaked at number 29. Pretty interesting song. Chorus feels like, I thought it felt like disco influenced. Uh, there are bongos featured on the song. There's a saxophone solo, of course. Why The, the saxophone was a big part of their sound at this yes. time. I could see that turning some people off, especially it's like, smooth sax it's like smooth it's not like bruce springsteen saxophone like rock music saxophone it's like smooth jazz saxophone. It, it, there is yeah there's that difference of a, like you said like a bruce springsteen song where you've got this like ripping raw <laughs> sax solo in the middle of a rock song or dentist saxophone yes. and this this falls into dentist saxophone very easily uh, yeah yeah but on gold gold's a very different song than true it's more upbeat it's different, but still very slick production. Very much sounds perfect, you know? And then Communication, the song that peaked at number 59, is also an upbeat one. Once again, featuring the bongos pretty prominently and lots of falsetto ooze in it. A lot, a lot of falsetto in that one. I kind of thought those songs were cool too, but I didn't think they held a candle to True. No, True is true is definitely the true hit for a reason. Mm-hmm. So anyway, after Live Aid... They left Chrysalis Records and signed with CBS. And then, okay, so I listened to some of the music that they released after this, and I saw it described as this. 
they started writing like stadium rock sounding songs. Probably at that point, they're like, we're playing to 1.9 billion people. We, <laughs> we got to get a chorus of 1.9 people, 1.9 billion people singing along. And my opinion on those songs was simply, they're not good. <laughs> they're not good songs. They're not songs I wanted to hear again. Um, I feel like they were really at their peak in the true era. Just, just my two cents, but uh, that's how I felt on it. I understand the appeal, though, because thinking about this, all the things that I love about True, one thing it is not is much of a sing-along song. Uh, I don't know, man. I could see singing along to... Uh, 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 but that's one little piece. I So let me put it in this, let me put it in this perspective. We've brought up karaoke a couple times. Oh, I would love to sing this song at karaoke. But would you love to see anyone else try to True. sing this song? <laughs> like, um, I don't know, but I do think there's an element of this song in that Wayne's World Dreamweaver kind of way. Yeah. That if you saw this this person that you're in love with walk into the room, that that song starts playing in your head. I think it's like the perfect example of that. Um, it, it's, I don't know. I just think it's an amazing love song. And it's an amazing who hasn't felt that it's a song about having a crush on somebody and being afraid to profess your true feelings. Who hasn't felt that way before? It's very relatable and a pretty song. And I could see it being that, that very anxious moment when you're getting ready to tell someone how you feel that could either go really well or really bad. <laughs> you know, it's the song that, You'd probably listen to. I I don't know. Have you ever had that situation where you had to tell somebody how you felt? I always pussied out. Wow. <laughs> like, I hate to say it like that, but yeah, I always I always got cold feet or I waited too long to build up the strength. And by the time I finally got the strength to say something, guess who has a new boyfriend? <laughs> like so I've I've always been bad with the timing and the uh the forward momentum in those situations. My first instinct would be to laugh about that, but the sec my my second thing is like, wait, I'm no better. Yeah. I I any relationships I've had in my life was always just kind of like an instantaneous mutual thing. It wasn't like a a period of longing and oh, when am I going to you know, make my move or whatever and I'm always very very not I've never really done that, put myself out there because I always felt like, oh, if they were interested, they would show some sort of interest that way. I I, I got to say that I've always throughout my life been very shy. I've been I've been a very Gary Kemp kind of guy my whole life. My my instinct would be to go write a song and hope they hear it and hope they, <laughs> you know, it. Did, I don't know if it worked out for Gary Kemp. Maybe, maybe it actually worked out better. Maybe. Uh, it ob he obviously didn't end up with Claire Grogan, but no. I could imagine that there were a lot of ladies who were interested in this handsome, clean-cut guy who wrote this beautiful song. Did you see that there was also a documentary made about them? Which, here is a fun, I don't know, coincidence maybe. Episode 100, we talked about AHA. Uh -huh. And if you remember, uh -huh. in the AHA episode, we talked about how they had a documentary debut at South by Southwest pretty recently about the history of their band. Well, won't you know, episode 150 in 2014 at South by Southwest Film Festival wow. saw the debut of the the archive-only feature-length documentary biopic, Soul Boys of the Western World. Wow, Soul Boys. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Are you a soul boy? Uh, I 
I can I like to consider myself a little bit of a soul boy. I hope that I hope that I'm at least a little bit of a soul boy. I don't mean, you know, I don't believe in the soul. I believe in soul, not the soul. Okay. Fair. <laughs> you know? Fair. And the only other thing I really had written down that we that I just wanted to mention was you brought up PM Dawn, made uh-huh. this made this a hit in their own. Uh the song was covered and sampled also by Nelly Lloyd, the Black Eyed Peas, and Paul Anka. Really? Yeah. Huh. Interesting. I mean, the P- I would prefer to not listen to any of those covers and just listen to the original, yeah. followed by PM Dawn. Right. Well, PM Dawn. We're not going to get to do an episode on PM Dawn because they actually had two hits, right? They did have two hits. Spandau Ballet, Thunder or Blunder. How you feeling? I mean, this song rules. Yeah. I I wish I got a chance to really dig into the rest of their catalog, but this song's really good. And this is a song that I used to be like Ugh, this song like it was just like it felt like a cheesy song and now that i've dug deeper into just this song alone and listened to it a couple times I'm like this is such a good song it's such a good song mm-hmm. uh so i'm going thunder with this one i think i listened to a lot of their catalog in preparation for this episode and i did think some of the other songs are pretty decent but also i I I probably would never listen to any, any of their other songs again. Yeah. But this one, of course, this one is always going to be a classic. It always fills me with, it fills me with even nostalgia for a time where I was so little that I can barely remember. I mean, this song, this song hit in 1983. I was either two or three years old at the time that this song hit, but it's been a, a long lasting thing. It's appeared in, so many things you brought him up at the beginning of the episode and maybe Adam Sandler's maybe Spandau Ballet owes Adam Sandler a good bit. It sounds like for keeping this in the public's ears, I still got to go with thunder for Spandau Ballet. I think, I think they're cool as hell. And even if I don't love communication as much as true, it's still pretty good. And I think this band is cool. And I think that maybe listeners, if they dug in might, like some of their other other stuff too. I like it. All right. Something is wrong. Hell on the rise. Into the mouth. Hands at our sides. Nothing to hide. Where East becomes West. This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Fafalius of the bands Punchline, Pack, and Another Cheetah and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. Underneath me, you're hearing Into the Mouth from the Punchline album Delightfully Pleased. Visit punchline.com for merch, tour dates, and news. We're on Patreon now. Become a patron and get bonus content, early episodes, and a chance to vote on future episodes at patreon.com backslash OHTpodcast. Do you want to start a podcast? Then contact Chris and myself at WeKnowPodcasting.com for how we can make your show sound as professional as possible. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. And tune in next week for more One Hit Thunder. listening to the Geekscape Network. 
Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you'd cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Hey, this is Mike Wiebe, and I'm the singer in a band called The Riverboat Gamblers. And I'm Zach Blair. I play guitar in a band called Rise Against. Mike and I also have a band called The Draculas, and we also have this great, amazing new podcast called Zach and Mike Make Three. Yeah, each week we're going to ask ourselves and we're going to ask our guests what three favorite things they are into at that moment or in their entire lives. And then we're either going to agree with them or we're going to make fun of them. And uh, you're going to listen to it and you're going to like it or we will make fun of you. How about that? I just flipped it on you, the person listening to this right now. But we're going to do it every week here on the Sound Talent Network. Once again, it's called Zach and Mike Make Three. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.